Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. And, and we've, got, we've got a lot of work to do as the church, right? I mean, sometimes you get grace folks and you mention the word work and they panic. Work? I don't have to work anymore. Yeah, but there's people out there dying. There's people out there that don't know how good God is, that don't know the simplicity of the love of God and how that is what you have to feed your soul with to become whole, to become transformed. I mean, you know, it's like we make Christianity about all the external things and all the mixing the covenants and seeing the gifts and all the stuff that we're supposed to do. And we don't want to do away with gifts and we don't want to do away with acts of service. We just want to make sure that we're doing it from a place of wholeness. Because I see so many people engaging in the opportunities of Christianity, let's say, from a broken place. And it's, it's, it looks, that's why we've got so many different denominations. It looks fractured. You know, it, it looks incomplete often. It looks like abuse or use or, you know, elitism or what do you call it, cliques and all that stuff. And I, I think because there's so much brokenness, I think what God is doing now in the body of Christ is getting us all back on the same playing field of his love for us. And then we move toward the world. We, we unite in his love for us, and we move toward the world in that. Amen? Does that sound like a plan? I mean, if you ever wonder what we're about as a church, like we don't roll out these plans for you of this path that we need you to take. Our biggest desire is that you learn how to connect with God in your heart, and you let his love for you develop wholeness within you, You quit looking outside. You quit looking to a church to make you whole. You quit looking to your spouse to make you whole. You quit looking for a spouse to become whole. (laughs) Should I say that one again? (laughs) And And you just become whole through his love for you. It's the only thing that will do it, knowing what he's done for you, all wrapped up in the expression of what Christ has done for us. Amen? And there's this invitation, not just for the life to come, but in this life to experience that love and experience his kingdom. You know, his kingdom is all about experiencing that love in righteousness, peace, and joy. So I want to keep going on in this series about the heart because that's the place where we meet God. You know, the heart is representative of the garden from the very beginning. It's that place where God would come and manifest and meet with them in the cool of the day, right? God would come and walk with Adam and Eve and walk with his family and walk with his people because he wanted to be with them. And then all throughout the ages, God was trying to do things so that he could be with them. And then you have the sacrificial system where there's the innermost sanctum where God would meet with the one high priest one time a year And that's so representative of the heart of God to meet with his people. But now that garden, that most holy place is right here. Point right here. Say God lives right here. Because what he's done is he's cleansed you and he's made you a holy vessel to inhabit. And he stays there. You know, I 
I don't know that we get the power that lives within us. You know, some of us are power hungry, and, that's, and we want the power working in our lives, and we want it working in our ministries and all of that, but I don't know that we even really grasp the kind of power that's, that's in there that we're directly connected to. You know, I pray that. I pray we have a revelation of that. I pray that we have... You know, I think if we did know how powerful that presence is, gosh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't worry about anything. You'd look at the world completely different because you wouldn't have a shadow of a doubt that that presence can change anything. Amen. 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 But we do have doubts, and there are shadows, and they lurk in our hearts. They lurk in our mindsets. They lurk in the way that we think. And they're tied to our actions. But, you know, I've said it every week, and I'll probably continue to say it, but what we want to do is reverse the order that religion has done to Christianity and put it back in the proper perspective of, you know, I was thinking about this this week, and always when you would approach God under the Levitical priesthood, you'd start from the outside, and you had to do all these ceremonies and all these cleansings and do all the sacrifices. And there were different levels that you had to pass through to approach God so that when you got to his presence, you were right. You got right before God so that you could go into his presence. And it's completely backwards now. With you as a believer, having been washed and cleansed by the blood of Christ, you start in that most holy place. And then you live outward from there. You're no longer trying to go through all the ceremonies and rituals and cleansings and processes and getting everything perfect so you can go into his presence. You're in it. He's in you. Amen. There's no path to approach. There's nothing to press through to get into him. I mean, I know we use that terminology and it's fine, but we have to know you're there. You start from that place. That's why you got to protect that place. That's why in that most holy place, you don't want to let sin come into that place because it hardens your heart and you're not letting the power of that presence affect the rest of your life. You begin to become desensitized and you know, look into the world and all this stuff that we're talking about, the heart. You're, you don't have to approach God. You're in Him. He's in you. I mean, we could just amen and go home. So I just want to give you, you know, because this is, this is the practical aspect, right? I want to paint the picture of the possibility. You know, it, it's like all things are possible for those who believe. All his promises are yes and amen. He loves you unconditionally. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's given you all things that pertain unto life and godliness. His mercies are new every morning. You are hidden within him. You are secure in the relationship because the Father and the Son have agreed and you're there and you're protected. You've been sealed with the spirit of promise. I mean, we have, we have this picture, this real state that we currently exist in, but we don't always get to experience it. And I think it comes down to what's going on in our hearts. It's, it's, it comes down to where are we with God in our heart. And I understand the terminology, you got to get right with God. But it has more to do with getting right in your thinking and how you see him and how he sees you than it does your actions. You're right with him now in spirit. 
You're perfect, holy, blameless because you are his child and he looks at you. Jesus has carried you into him and presented you holy and blameless to the Father. And the Father's sitting here looking at you as his child and saying, yes. They said yes to Jesus. I say yes to them. That's it. End of story. And from that place, you get to live out. So it's the mindsets and it's the heart that then govern how we experience this life. That's what we're talking about. You don't have to work to try to get your heart right, but you do labor to enter into that rest, not to enter into his presence, not to enter into his promises, but to enter into his rest. Do you see? Because it's like the hammock is already pitched, you know, between the trees over there, and we're over there knitting the yarn trying to make the hammock, r- hammock rather than just, just go kick back. Just go sit by the lake, swing with your father, because that is the secret place where you will experience transformation. But we let all this stuff get in there and affect how we see him and ourselves. So the next couple of weeks, I'm going to drill down on the idea of transformation and how it happens. Let's start in 2 Corinthians 3 going to go into 18. 2 Corinthians, you know, it's funny how when you're studying a particular book, it's like it's your favorite book at that moment. Like Colossians is always huge for me, Colossians and Hebrews, but then you study different points and it's like, oh, this is it. Then this one's it. So this week, 2 Corinthians is it. <laughs> Paul starts out, you know, and, he, and he's going to, you can, you can pull that down just for a second. He's, he's just talking about how It's interesting. Now, this is a side note, rabbit trail. I'm going to announce my rabbit trail so you don't follow me too far down this trail. But at the end of 1 Corinthians, there's this guy that Paul is pretty harsh about, and he's like, get him out of the church, kick him out, don't even associate with... You know, you're familiar with that story? Get him out. The beginning of 2 Corinthians, he's like, you know what? Go love on that guy. Go restore that guy. Go bring him back in. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever picked up between the two? It's like... We jump on this 1 Corinthians one, let's kick him out. But then we miss when in 2 Corinthians, he says, go get him, bring him back in. You know, it's like he has a change of heart or something. I'm not really sure exactly what's happening in between there, whether he has a change of heart or the guy repents. or I don't, I don't know what the deal is, but don't miss that between those two. All right, so we're off the rabbit trail back on. Here we go. Then Paul goes on to talk about how we have the seal of the Spirit. We've been sealed with promise. We have the ministry of the Spirit and not the law. And, you know, of course, then after this, he goes on to how we have the ministry of reconciliation. But in the, in the mean, in between there, he goes through these ideas. He says, this is 2 Corinthians 3.18. You can go ahead and put that up. I'm in the NIV this week. And we all who with veiled faces contemplate. Now, this is probably a better translation of what this word is. It's Either behold some of your versions. What, what do your versions have? Behold, contemplate, any, any different words between, of the reflects. reflects. What version is that? New Living. Anything else besides those three? So you see it's a bigger picture than just behold. We don't really understand what, but it's contemplate, reflect. I love, I love the word reflect. So we who with unveiled faces, and he's talking about it's we have an unveiled face now because... We're not under the law. There is nothing veiling our hearts toward God. So we're in this position. We're we're open toward God, and he's open toward us, not holding anything back. 
We who with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect on the Lord's glory. This word glory is the word view or opinion. In other words, the way God thinks, the way God sees things, God's view. We think of glory and we think of a cloud somewhere up there with gold dust in it or something like that, right? The glory come rolling in today. Hallelujah. And it's like, praise God for that stuff. I mean, God, you want to send a cloud? Go ahead and send a cloud. That's cool. We'll, we'll, we'll enjoy it. But really what he's talking about is the way God sees things, God's views, God's opinions. What's God's perspective on this issue that I'm dealing with here? So <clears throat> we contemplate the Lord's glory. Are being tra- So as we contemplate, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. What an incredible promise. So you're not transformed as you get more right, as you get more holy, as you get more power. It's as you reflect and contemplate his perspectives. And his perspective is revealed in Jesus. And what did Jesus do for you? And what has he done? And what is he continuing to do? Learn of Jesus. The process of transformation is reflecting God's perspective. Specifically, who are you in light of how God sees you? Not just God's mindset, but his actions in Jesus. You have to go through a re-identification process and totally change how you think what you are, who you are. You know, I mentioned that last week. Every, Every time you face any type of change or difficulty or opportunity, or something different than the average status quo day, you go through this process. Who am I? What do I deserve? Is this good for me? Is this not good for me? Can I let myself have this? And, and we go. And so when you go through a, an identification process, we start looking, because we're so performance-minded, rather than going into God and looking to define ourselves based on who he, how he sees us and what he's done for us through Jesus, We go back into the world and in our past and what this person said and where my current state of existence and all this stuff to start trying to define who and what we are. And you have to go inward to that spirit to check who am I and to answer that question. But as you reflect inward, because the kingdom of heaven is within, you are transformed outwardly more into that image. The path of transformation is inward reflection on God's truth and letting that be reflected outward. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. We're going to skip a little bit here. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. You can go ahead and put that up. I'll wait. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. That's another thing. If you go back and you read 2 Corinthians this week, you notice the significance of the heart through this process that he's teaching through. But every time it mentions something significant that God does now post-resurrection in our relationship, it's through your heart. So light shines out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. I mean, just think about that for a minute. Remember the picture that you look into 
You've got this little picture of yourself inwardly. And when you face things, it's like you pull out your wallet and you look at that picture of yourself. You don't do this consciously. It's not an intellectual process. It's a subconscious, natural aspect of what you do. When you face a difficulty or an opportunity, you're programmed because of your beliefs to behave and respond naturally without even thinking about it. And sometimes you wake up afterward and you think, what in the world did I do that for? Well, that's because you are fulfilling that picture that you have of yourself. But you have to realize that picture has to be Christ. That picture of Jesus is in there. So when you start going through things, you have to look inward and see him so that you reflect him outwardly. This this is what it's saying here. His light is shining in your heart to illuminate Christ. Skip down to verse 16, 2 Corinthians 16. Therefore, do not, therefore, we do not lose heart. Now, he is talking about going through difficulties, and it's like you kind, of, you kind of always have to go through and say, yes, when you stand up and follow God and you follow your call, you might experience persecution. You might go through difficulty. You may even experience loss of life. But God is not putting you through those things to make you more holy. He's not putting you through that stuff to get to, for you to qualify for a blessing. You're blessed. You're holy. You're made righteous in him. His light shines in your heart. From that place, he'll say, hey, I need you to go over here. And you might lose your life on the way. You see the difference? So he does talk about that, I, that aspect of life and ministry following God. But then he gets here, he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Now, he's talking about being beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, bitten by snakes. You know, these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Verse 18, and this is, this is the, the, the point of today. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Like, you're supposed to look at what you can't see. I mean, it's a paradox right off the bat. This is the Christian life from now on. Look at what you can't see. So what is it that you can't see? I'm glad you asked. We'll get there. Verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. All right? So it's on the unseen, eternal things that we are to fix our eyes on or look at. Um, And the word look, again, means to contemplate or reflect. See, we're really good at looking at the unseen temporary. Because we all do it. You all look at the unseen. But are you looking at the unseen eternal or the unseen temporary? I mean, we have an unseen temporary that hasn't even happened yet. Well, if I do this and this is going to happen, what if I don't that, don't do this, and then what's, this is my life's going to turn out to this, and I'm going to be going here, and next thing you know, I'm going to be sitting in a van down by the river, you know. 
I'm going to be sitting on the highway with a sign. I'm going to be flipping burgers. I, I don't know why, but in this, I, I remember when I was a little kid, for some reason there was a point, there was a transition where I started worrying about money. And I remember thinking, I, well, I could always go to McDonald's and work flipping burgers. I don't know why. It's just a weird little thing. And I had to overcome that. I had to overcome that limitation that I'd placed in my heart. It was just a weird thing. See, we look at what is unseen all the time. Do you realize that you do that? I mean, you think and imagine what life is going to be like if this happens or if this doesn't happen. It's like you may as well just go ahead and use that brain energy to focus on what you can't see but, as, but is eternal. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're going to do it either way. Just go ahead and choose which one you're going to look at. Just go ahead and be intentional about what you're going to let float through your mind and your heart because as you think in your heart, so will your life be. Well, it's too much effort. I have to sit around and I have to, I have to you tell me I've got to think about what I want to think about all the time? Well, eventually it becomes natural. Eventually it becomes just part of how you normally think. Eventually it becomes first where you're daydreaming. You know, it's like this is the battle that we fight. You've got to bring those thoughts captive to the, to the obedience of Christ. That's your job. If you ever wonder what your job is, you wrangle those thoughts in to what Christ was obedient to. But before too long, you start daydreaming about writing a big check to a ministry overseas and building churches and drilling wells or something like that. You know, those become your daydreams. Next thing you know, you're daydreaming about you wake up in the morning and you just kind of see yourself going throughout your day and you run across somebody that's got some kind of difficulty and you pray for them and they get healed and maybe you provide a physical need for them. You, know, you start daydreaming about what would it be like to be not when I'm out of debt and everything's paid off and it's health, I'm living a healthy life and we have this opportunity. You know, you start daydreaming about the things that God can birth in your heart. I mean, what do you daydream about? That's an indication of what's going on in your heart. <clears throat> and if there's worry associated with your daydreams, and I'm not just, you know, some of us are just spacey. We just can't help it. You just, you know, you're just going to daydream all the time. <laughs> My wife is the best daydreamer because she will stare out the window. And I stopped. I used to, in the, I used to like, let's get going. Because we've been self-employed most of our lives. And it's like we'd wake up and we'd have breakfast. And she'll, she has this thing where when she's finished with breakfast, she likes to sit and Sydney's back there, doesn't she? She sits at the table, and she'll just stare out the window. And I'm like, I eat that last bite, and I'm standing up as I'm eating my last bite. And I'm going to the kitchen. You know, I'm moving, and it's like, you know, I'm ready to get going. But she'll sit and just stare out the window, sometimes 30 minutes, sometimes an hour. And I'm like, I learned to give her that time because she's spending that time with God. I know it. I've seen it. I know it now. I stop interrupting the process. They are organizing their day together. They are cataloging what's about to happen. And, you know, she if she were sitting here, she'd say, oh, yeah, that is what's You know, she doesn't even really realize what, I mean, she knows that's what's happening, but it's not like she's trying to do that. She just has this natural way that, of doing that after she has a meal of just kind of connecting with God, and then she just goes off, and next thing you know, then she has an incredibly productive day after that, you know. 
I'm a little bit more analytical. I'm like, okay, I've got to have this here because I know when I finish this, I might space out and run this way. And if I have this here, I'm ready and I can, you know. You don't want to systematize your life for works, but you do have to know what inspires you, what distracts you, and organize your life in such a way where you're setting yourself up to not be distracted and connect with God. But all of this stuff happens naturally. You just want it to be where you're naturally, intuitively thinking about what's eternal, about what's true. Like you want to catch yourself thinking unrealistically, ridiculously good thoughts about yourself and your life. Some of you say, well, that'd be nice. It might take a little effort to wash your brain with the truth. Your, soul, your spirit's washed. Your heart is directly connected. Let that filter in. Let that light shine. And, and it's, it's really simple. You just look at the situation that you're in in your life, and you behold Jesus, and you begin to look at somehow connect with God in such a way where there's a revelation of who Jesus is and the state that he's in right now related to what you're going through. Whatever it is that you're going through, you look at him and you connect. You know, I, I just run my mouth long enough until you connect with God. The Holy Spirit's the teacher. Amen. You have to learn from the Holy Spirit how to be taught by him. Nobody can teach you how to do that. It's a, it's a relationship that you engage and you let him become your teacher. You let him become your comforter, your father, your elder brother, your counselor, all those things that he said he would be. He'll do them if you let him. So find a way to let him show you how his state of existence can be filtered into your life in this moment, in this day and age, in every single situation. Some of you say, well, Jesus was never here. Jesus doesn't know what it's like to be married to my wife. Yeah, he does. He's married to you. <laughs> so back on 18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is unseen is temporary, but what is unseen, yeah, you know what I'm saying. But then we keep reading 5.1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. It's funny how we stop at the end of chapters and we let that idea end there. Don't do that. I mean, they added all that stuff later. It's a continuous letter. Keep reading. He goes in five and, he, and he, then he paints the, an eternal spiritual perspective. He just had this spiritual mindset of how he thought about what's eternal. So... Then down in verse 5, 7, you know, it's very popular. He says, uh, for we live by faith, not by sight. See, living by faith is not just checking out in your brain and saying, oh, well, I just trust God. He's in control. It's just going to work out somewhere or the other. And it's like, oh, that's not really what faith is. See, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is an expectation. Faith, really what it means is to trust. Trust is confidence. There's no confidence in just checking out. 
and saying, well, you know, it's just gonna work out. I don't know why this is happening. Well, you might not know why this is happening, but it's not faith to just let go and, and not expect God's realities to manifest in your life. I mean, we give up sometimes. We think we, it gets hard. I understand it gets hard and we just wanna throw it in neutral and relax. And you should do that. That should be the context of what's going on in our hearts. But not giving up on believing. Not giving up on trusting. You know, if you're striving while you're trying to trust, you'll get burned out. But if you're resting while you're trusting, your heart's going to be looking at Him and you're going to be fueled by Him and it won't make any sense while you're at peace. But you will be. But you'll stay confident, even if it takes 40 years. And somebody said, oh, Lord, please don't let it take that long. <laughs> so <clears throat> go to Philippians 4.4. 4. I've got two more. This one's kind of long and then one more after that. We're talking about looking at what is unseen. What is unseen ultimately is Jesus. So when you look at what is unseen, you want it to be the truth. You want, it to, you want to look at what he's done for you and how you fit into him regarding your specific situation. Living by faith, knowing that faith is the substance, it's the building blocks of what you're expecting and confidently expecting, is looking at him and expecting what he's done to actually affect your life. So Philippians 4, 4, you can go ahead and put that up. This is kind of the attitude that we are to be in in this process. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And he already knows what you need before you ever even ask. But he wants your heart engaged with him. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. See, it's like this. Rejoice in the Lord. Acknowledge him. Involve him in your life. Involve him in your thinking. Invite him into your reflective process. Not where you just, oh, yeah, there is a God out there. I should think I should try to talk to him too. No, you, you bring him into where your needs are. You, you go into that place in your heart where he's trying to meet those needs, where he's trying to manifest into your life. And as you connect with him in your places of need, so usually what we do is we look at our need and then we look to the world to determine how we're going to feel. We think about this is the lack in my life. Now let me look at, let me daydream and look at the unseen in the world and then I'm going to develop this stronghold and I might even invite the demonic into my life now because I've gone through this whole daydreaming process of having this need and I think I'm telling God about it, but I am in chaos and fear and panic because I'm looking to the world to filter this through rather than to God. See, when you let your request be made known to God and you're actually involved with Him and engaging Him, rejoicing in Him, not nail-biting over the world. I mean, that's your option. Nail-bite over the world or rejoice in Him because He's already completed it. Then, when you're connected with Him, then His peace will guard your heart. See, it's like all of this stuff happens naturally without you forcing it to happen, but it is a choice for you to enter into. It doesn't affect your salvation. 
doesn't affect your righteousness before Him. It affects the degree of the kingdom you're going to experience in this life. That's what we're talking about. So the peace which transcends understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, and so then He tells you what to think about, right? So this is kind of added on to looking at the unseen. This is the unseen that you guide your heart toward and you guide your mind to. And these are questions. You know, this is kind of a little thing you can do when you're facing life is develop this passage here, Philippians 4, 8, into questions when you're facing difficulty. Whatever's true. So he says, think on these things. Finally, brothers, Think on these things. So when you, when you have a thought run through your mind about yourself or your situation, ask yourself, is that true? And it may be true because it exists in this world, but then ask yourself, what's the greater truth? What's God's truth in this situation? So constantly I'm asking myself that question. You know, is this true? What, what, is, what is God's reality here? What is God's glory? What is God's truth in this situation? If Jesus were living my life right now, what would this look like for him? And so you got to get that picture, not to try to make God make it happen for you or to try to figure out what you have to do to make it happen, but you have to see it in your heart first to know that it's a real possibility for you. It's always a possibility. God's not withholding. But if you can't see it in your heart, you're probably not going to connect to it because when the door opens to move that direction, you're not thinking that way. You're not going to move into it because it's unfamiliar. It's, it's foreign. You're not, you're not filtered through God's perspective of how he would lead you through that. You're thinking the world, and so you're going to go to the world, and God's leading you to the truth all the time. But if you're not in agreement with the truth, you're not going to, you may or may not follow him. So is it true? Is it noble? Whatever's noble, whatever is right, whatever, we like that one. This right, my right. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such. So each one of those is a question. You know, is this, is this <clears throat> lovely? <clears throat> and then Colossians 2, to just wrap this up, or 3, Colossians 3, 2. Set your, actually, in Proverbs it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And it's connected to Colossians 3, 2. Set your affections on things above, not on the earth. Now, the word affection here is the exor to exercise the mind, have a sentiment or opinion, to feel, to think. Would you put the heart graphic up, the third one? And this is affection. Set your affection on things above. That's basically saying, don't look at what you can see. Look at the unseen. It's the same idea. You know, if we can learn how to kind of spot concepts in Scripture when we read, you're less trying to figure out all these doctrines and you're, trying to, you're, you're actually opening up to these concepts. So it's the same thing, really. Set your affections. Affection means to direct one's mind to a thing to seek. To be, the same, to be of the same mind, agreed together, cherish the same views, and be harmonious. When you are harmonious in your thoughts and feelings and the direction of your mind with God, there is a peace that's available 
that's better than anything the world can bring to you. It's better than any understanding that can be developed within your soul and within your mind. It's not that you don't need the understanding, or it's not like you say, I don't understand, but I'm going to blindly choose to believe anyway. It's that peace is better than understanding. When you are at peace in your heart, you're going to be in agreement with him, and you're not going to hinder what he wants to do in and through your life. And see, here's the thing, and this is the danger. You know, I always, I always contemplate on dissecting this too much because all of this stuff just happens without you ever even thinking about it. That's actually the good part and the bad part because if the eyes of your heart are more trained to look at the world, then you're naturally going to continue in sin. You're naturally going to continue in fear and worry. You're naturally going to continue to limit God or let's say effortlessly, your nature would be to actually follow him. But when your picture in your heart here is reflected by what Jesus has done for you, that peace reigns in this area. There's a joy that's set in place for you that you just rest in and you walk in. It's like, it's like the garden when God would come at the end of the day and walk with them. There was just such a... Can you imagine what that'd be like? Have you ever been in areas of nature where it's like it's just so serene? There's like a tangible silence. That's, that's the atmosphere that God is trying to get you to enter into in your heart. Because when your inner world is at peace, you're not going to let sin reign in there. You're not going to be confused about what your next step is. See, we think that this out here, if I can get this, this will bring peace. It's like, no, that's the very thing that is corrupting your peace. That's the very thing that is causing the storm to continue. Let go of that thing. Yeah, but I need it. I want it. It's a promise from God. God said I could have this out here. Well, yeah, but is it real in your heart first? Because what God has for you is not something that you reach out here and grab. It's something that's birthed out of that place of peace. And can we let him, do we, really it just comes down to do we trust him? Do you really think that if you let go and you reflect inwardly toward him and you give it all up to him, will he actually build into your life those things that you say you want, even if they're promised by him? Above all else, guard your heart because it affects every area of your life. The way you guard your heart is you know who God is, you know what he's done through Christ, you know the relationship that you're in with him, and you make a conscious choice at the deepest part of who you are to make that your identity and not what's going on, not the lack in your life. And you have that opportunity every day, moment by moment, to choose this is, this is how... You break addiction. This is how you break repetitive sin. This is how you experience transformation. It's that light that is shed in your heart. The love of God is shed abroad in your heart. The light of the illumination of Christ is spread into your heart. That is the power you need to connect to 
to experience freedom in every other area of your life. And it will do that naturally without you trying to make it happen if you're one with Christ in your heart, in your thinking, in your mind, in your emotions, in how you feel about life. I mean, you know, there's things that you can do. It's like when you're facing a situation, ask yourself, how does Jesus feel about this? Let me put myself in his eternal realm, in his state of absolute victory, and let me try to connect to how does he feel about it? How does he think about this? Maybe there's a scripture that comes to mind that sheds light on his mindset in that area, and that's a promise that you hold on to. And you let that roll around inside until it's a picture that's more real to you than what's going on out here in the world. I mean, you're a spiritual being. Your imagination is built by God to house truth to be birthed into your life. Use your imagination to look inward and let him create these possibilities within you. If you don't see it first in your heart, you probably won't see it in your life. If you do end up seeing it in your life and it's not in your heart first, you'll probably lose it. You won't have the inward, settled ground to stand from to let it be healthy in your life. It'll be a shortcut. It'll be fabricated. They'll be striving to have it. Let peace reign. At all cost, let peace reign. Father, thank you for your peace. Holy Spirit, we let these words rest. We let these promises rest in our minds and our hearts because we want you to be fully unhindered in our lives. We trust you. We know you have good plans for us. What would you say to him in this moment? Like just sitting with him with no pretense, no expectation. You're just sitting with your father. What does it feel like to be that close to him? Do you trust him? Are you afraid? Are you able to breathe deep? Is it familiar? Thank you, Lord. I just want to let transformation happen within me. Thank you, Lord. You know, and and don't, last thing, you don't want to try to make this an intellectual process where you're trying to hear a voice in your head. Do you know what I mean? Like, we do that. we've, We've intellectualized God so much that we want to hear an idea rather than it being settled in our hearts. It's like, God, speak to me. Talk to me. He's speaking. He's talking. Always. Just because you don't hear an idea or a clear concept roll through your intellect doesn't mean you're not getting it. Okay? Amen?